0: Your whole sense of identity, your sense of purpose and right and wrong, and of, of futurity. What, what you know? What would the rest of your life be like? What would you be like? Mm-hmm. If you're 50 or 60 or 70, and you've got grandkids or whatever. You know what happens yeah. after we die? I mean, you know, so that that all implodes. So you're, you know, it dissolves, and so you know, it's very, very, it's very upsetting. But also, back in the real world, I mean, that kind of goes on in your head. But sure. in the real world you're losing your friends, you're losing your 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 community. Um, they think you're evil. They don't want to listen to what you've discovered.
1: Tokyo tonight.
2: Dystopia
0: Tonight Hey! Howdy! What's going on, man? How are you? I'm doing alright, how are you guys? Good! Good, man. I think I'm uh, gonna switch stools here. here. Sure, go, go for it.
1: It's always good to do a, a beginning of the show stool switch.
0: <laughs> we'll see how this is.
1: We break stuff down like that into segments. <laughs>
0: Okay. Now I'm like, yeah, blah, blah. all right. <laughs> yeah, there go. Beautiful. Okay.
1: Is it cool? Like, I mean, you know, you started doing this and now you're going out on tour with them. Is it cool to play with your dad? Is it the, what did you say? It was like, uh, something that you started when you were younger, maybe like uh, how you got into music.
0: Well, uh, you know, a lo- okay. Well, a lot of people have asked, you know, me and my brothers and sisters over the years, what it was like jamming with dad after school. Mm-hmm. And, um, and again, it's, you know, it's particularly so in Canada because Canada is only, you know, 10% the population of the U S and so it's actually quite, it's quite easy to have some connection, two or three degrees connection to anybody. Yeah, You know, my yeah. sister went to school with a girl who dated, you know, you know, Getty Lee or something. I mean, you hear all these, you know, the kind of the, yeah. the in Canada stories. So, so a lot of people in Canada have this image of, you know what it has to have been like in Randy Bachman's house and with all the kids and i mean you know it's not like people at least in canada imagine like they they seem to imagine and a lot of guys seem to imagine that you know there's amps set up there's a pa ready to go there's mics the guitars are all tuned <laughs> dad is waiting there with the guitar and then when the kids show up from school you know it's like the Partridge Family or something, one kid <laughs> relegated to tambourine, the other kids on like organ, and it's a giant family jam session. And you know, just you know, it it wasn't like that. I mean, there was music playing. Dad was always listening to music, and of course, in the car and on the home stereo. And he was always noodling on guitar and coming up with new songs. But it it wasn't so. <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't like we were doing big family jams all the time. Now, just to continue this thought, I mean, every once in a while. There would be something like a sing-along, mm. but as I think about it, I I would bet you that there's there's more kind of more traditional sing-alongs in a lot of families than there even was in our house. I mean, it, I mean, it's like a job, you know, for Dad. I'm not saying he you know he didn't like it or anything, but it you know there there was that sort of hyper focus on certainly when I was a, a little kid, you know, five, six, seven years old. Um, when he was really on top of the world with BTO, I mean, there was that hyper focus. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got to come up with a hit. He's got to make sure that the song that just came out becomes a hit. He's got to write another one in the pipeline. So, you, you know, it, there was a kind of professional focus right. to yes. music from him that that you wouldn't get from like a painter who, who just loves playing CCR songs after work. Right, right. Yeah,
1: right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Did you find that you were interested in it right away? Or did you have other passions when you were younger? And then the music thing kind of slowly leaked in?
0: Well, I, yeah, um well, I had lots of interests. But I mean, music was always an interest. Mm-hmm. So it was one of a you know, a panorama, if you will, a one of a suite of. I mean, I was really into baseball. I mean, and this is, I'm, I'm going back to sort of my first phase of life. You know, first ten years, I guess. I, I was really into baseball. I liked sports. Um, I watched a lot of football. <clears throat> we lived in Washington at the time, Washington State. Hmm, cool. Um, I liked, you know, comic books, cartoons, and nice. particular shows. I used to love, you know, so you know, I liked movies and. So I, I mean, I had a lot of interests, and I had more interests. I think my dad would agree with this. um I had a lot more interest than my dad did. Oh, okay. know, my dad was my dad is really hyper focused on music, but yeah, definitely music was one of my passions.
1: Was it um you know, kind of like it easy for you to kind of fold into it, like get into the music that, that, that way. Or were you like kind of, cause you know how like some people like you're raised and your parents do a thing. And at first you're like, Oh, that's cool. But I'm going to do my own shit or whatever. I'm going to kind of go my own yeah. way. Or was it just, Did you think it was like, it, it's kind of interesting to me that like, I am not musically inclined at all. So I don't understand it. I don't even hear it, but I know that a lot of people that I've spoken to on the show, Like who are musically in kind, they just hear it, they wake up with a tune or a song in their head, they know how to write it. Like, is that what it was like for you?
0: Yeah, well, it was actually both things. Um, I mean, you know, like if you grow up in a household where the, you know, your mom speaks farsi to you or you know, Spanish or something, I mean you you learn how to speak it. And so, you know, it's just sort of in in the air. So so music was like that for me because you know, there's always tunes going on. And even though I wasn't sitting there being taught, you know, dad wasn't necessarily teaching me how to play something on, Mm -hmm. on guitar. Um, I mean, you know, you're always talking about it and it's always playing and you're always taking it seriously. Right. Or, or, you know, mostly taking it seriously. Um, So that, you know, so I guess what I'm trying to say is that, you know, in in that kind of environment, it's kind of easy to become musically literate and you didn't necessarily even try. It's not like, you know, I'd love to become a mountain climber one day and i'm going to start from zero like you know there was just never a time when you didn't kind of know how music functioned songs functioned who the big players were you know the 50s rock and rollers 60s british invasion guys 70s classic rock guys and so on so 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 you're you're sort of born into that world i mean on the other hand um you know, yeah, there was a, a time in my life when I when I wasn't sure that I wanted to pursue music. Um, mm-hmm. I, I mean, after high school, I, I mean, I was concerned about a few things, you know, having to do with the music business, uh, not least because my parents had divorced, ah. and you know, I was worried that, you know. I didn't really know exactly why they divorced. No none of the kids really knew. It was really upsetting for all of us because we had lived a, a kind of insular life where it felt like we were on a team and it was a really successful team because mm-hmm. you know dad was experiencing success. So you kind of are vicariously experiencing that that success. Not yeah. not that there was any sense of uh, snobbery or anything. It was just this is fun, it's exciting. Dad's on TV again, and you know, we're gonna. I'm, I'm in scouts, and we're and she's doing you know soccer, my sister's doing you know whatever. So, you know, so it's this kind of rolling, robust, successful family dynamic that suddenly explodes. And so, I you know, it was really upsetting, as I said. So, I was a little bit worried that you know, maybe it was the music biz, you know, maybe it was. You know, corrupting, you know, and there was yeah. no way you could sort of not be corrupted by it, even though I didn't see any real signs of corruption in my dad. It's not like he drank, he didn't smoke, he didn't do drugs. I mean, I, he might have been the first anti-smoker. Um, right. <laughs> I mean, he's just a fanatical anti-smoker. Wow. When, when everyone smoked. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not That's like now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not like now. I mean, you know, it's like. Right it's like 1979 or something like you know the airplane. Yeah. everyone's smoking on airplanes everyone's smoking in restaurants that's a Isn't hard thing movie? to push back against you don't even see you don't even see anybody in those movies back then
1: like no 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 cigarettes for me like they're literally like every second of every day back then like smoking
0: yeah and maybe drinking and a lot of yeah i mean you watch mad men and you know <laughs> you're like you know this is uh everyone says i should uh not like this lifestyle it just seems sort of vaguely fun for these people um yeah but um yeah so i i did go to university for a few years and studied and and that was pretty cool but you know eventually i i kind of i felt confident i guess i guess i would say i felt confident enough in myself that i could make a go of it and that even if i were lucky to be successful lucky enough to be successful i I wouldn't turn into a a lunatic. And you have to, I mean, last thing on this, you also have to remember that a lot of the folks that my dad knew really damaged themselves with overdoing it with booze and drugs.
1: Sure.
3: Including
0: dying, right? So
1: Yeah, yeah. But that's a cool perspective to have because I don't think you hear it that often that there's there is kind of like a stigma that every career in show business have, whether you're an actor a comedian or or a musician, like, especially like I've been doing stand up for over 16 years. But the first thing you hear about comedy or comedy in general is just how kind of corrupt it is in, in that it just kind of, you know, everybody's damaged or like, like the, the kind of perception is, is you have to be fucked up in order to do this thing. I very rarely hear anybody say, you know, um, I, I, di- I thought about it. I didn't want that to happen, but it's not really about, you know, the industry. It's about the person. And that, you find that to be true more than not? It's about the individual as opposed to, you know, like what kind of course do you have to steer through the industry to wind up being kind of okay in it?
0: Well, I mean, yeah, that's a good question. Um, maybe I should ask you what you think. Oh God,
1: I, I, I haven't, I'm it. I'll tell you right now, man, I struggle with it because I'm, 37 what well, i don't know why i said that like i didn't know how old it was i'm like what am i am i <laughs> how old am i,
0: I um i think i'm still 22
1: yeah i i yeah, do the yeah. same shit yeah i was on stage uh, uh like a couple weeks ago and somebody in the audience for some reason was like how old are you and without missing a beat i said 28 and I immediately went, No, I'm not. <laughs> and I have no idea why I
0: would fucking yeah. say that. And I bet that I, got I, I, that got a laugh though. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. That, that <laughs> I mean, like, instantly follow it by no, I'm not.
1: Yeah, no, I'm not. Like, who the fuck says that? <laughs> um, but uh, I mean, I'm like thinking about like the relationship stuff and and trying to navigate all that because it's it's hard enough trying to explain to somebody that you care about what you do and why you're sleeping on a couch or a food or or whatever or living not the best lifestyle in the beginning of this and that kind of thing. And then I kind of, you know, if, if you're, I feel like an okay person, you're playing it around in your head. Like, do I want to drag somebody else through this? You know, even if, you know what I mean? Like, that's my fucked up sense of it is like, why, if I'm not doing extremely well, what I want to be in a relationship with somebody who I'm going to have to, you know, they're going to have to worry about shit. Like it's, I'm not worth that. So that's my, you know, that's what I think of it, which
0: is probably not great. Uh, okay. Well, I, I mean, what, well, okay. I mean, yeah, there's, okay. A lot of different layers. I mean, number one, um, you know, it's easy for us to forget. It's for, easy for everybody for us to forget that you, you never lose the power to say no. Right. Okay? Yeah. Right, I know that it's uncomfortable sometimes. There's a lot riding on something, and and I'm not saying you would break a commitment, um, mm-hmm. but you know certainly if you're offered things that you just don't feel comfortable with, um, I'm talking about gigs that might yeah. conflict with other things. But I'm also yeah. talking about, let's say, you know, certain opportunities to to maybe we'll say misbehave, maybe within the context of the life you've established because you've gotten somebody, you know, you're, you're sort of in a committed relationship or, right. right. Or you have children now and they're little, they're counting on daddy to be a hero um, right. or whatever. And you're sort of offered, you know, the opportunity to do something maybe with kind of legal impunity, but, you know, you would disappoint people in your life, right. Or you might even disappoint yourself the night, you know, you might wake up the next morning. and So, you, you know, what, what did I do? Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't think I was that kind of person, you know, or, or you're like, yeah. Or, or in some cases, maybe, you know, I, I love this. You, when you see, you see people have done something horrible. And then during their apology, they always have to say, I'm not that kind of person. And it's like, yes. well, you know, obviously you are that kind of person. I mean, this is like your hand is in the cookie jar and you're literally saying, I'm not stealing the cookie right now. Right. right. Um, I mean, you, so you can always say no. No thanks I appreciate the offer no thank you and just right. leave it at that and and then it's a funny thing you probably have noticed this but it's funny how often when you just you just lay it out like that the world that made it seem like you couldn't say no suddenly kind of the wave collapses like to borrow a concept from physics it's like suddenly everything shifts yeah and and every now all of these people will accommodate your no Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. so that, I mean, that's a sort of a bedrock fundamental thing, but I mean, on top of that, um, I mean, I think, I, I mean, just, you know, people that I've known, um, my own kind of experience. I mean, it, it helps if you have <clears throat> some sort of, well, I'm not saying this would be for everybody, but it can help some folks if they have a spiritual or kind of religious community. So there, you know, there's some sort of you know, they, they belong to a church or they're if it's not a formal church, they're, they're in something that is sort of their posse. It's not right. a professional posse. It's not other musicians that you're touring with. It's maybe not other professional comedians, but it's like an intimate set of homies um, that, you know, they have become kind of your social world. Yeah. And that kind of that. So those kinds of things will those kind of external sources of, of, I guess, of, I almost want to say discipline, but just maybe we'd say like that, those sort of external sources of meaning and purpose and things that help shape your identity will kind of keep you on track. I think. I but completely I, agree. But, but as you're saying one last thought, John, sure. I mean, as, as you're saying like in the end, it comes down to like a single point of of your will in that moment, your decision hmm. Right. So, yeah. Yeah.
1: One of the things I mean, it, it's so true what you say, because um, one of the things decisions I made early on was not moving in. I could have moved into New York. Right. And and that's the kind of thing when you're when you're starting out doing stand up, you know, everybody's like, you got to move into where it, this is where it is, this is where everything happens. And i had been doing it. I've been commuting from Jersey to New York to wherever I was going to do stand up on the road and all that other stuff could have done that. But I had an apartment in New Jersey, and I had a social construct and my friends that were outside of the stand-up realm. And I remember making a decision like I could do that and I could be completely immersed by comedy and just be around comedians for the rest of my life, which I do love. I mean, I love, you know comedians and and they're great. But I knew i I, I really glad, I'm glad I decided to have some normalcy and yeah. some kind of and my friend group around and that that way to escape from it and not be around it all the time. Cause I could have been, you know, I know a lot of guys who, who were okay, who did that, but I know a lot of people who are just, you know, um, bitter or like really unhappy or somehow they fell down the wrong rabbit hole. And it was like a thing. And, um, so I always think about that. I always think like, yeah, it was harder to have to travel and to have to do that kind of stuff and kind of be outside of it. But I think I learned how to be more me by being around my friends and, and family and stuff. Yeah. And also to your point too, when, how long did it take you to get that perspective?
0: Um, well, when I kind of moved into, when I, I mean, I quit university early, I was pretty close Mm -hmm. to graduating and I would, I later finished up, but Mm -hmm. when I moved out of that, I mean, I, I already was very aware of that, that I, I didn't want to go nuts and, you know by then i had you know social attachments that were you know depending on me to behave you know like a responsible adult (laughs) right um yeah so i mean i have to say i mean it was it it was a big advantage for me too to be a solo artist which was another thing that you know i i kind of deliberately wanted to do i mean if you if you kind of hit your wagon to you know, three or four other guys, then you're kind of one vote amongst four or five. But right. if you're a solo artist, you, you, I guess you have sort of dictatorial powers uh, over your environment. Right. So, you know, what happens on the tour bus? What's going on backstage? Do we want a parade of strippers in here and lines of cocaine? Or do we do we not? You know, are, right. we, are, are the fellows in the band going to do that kind of thing on their own time? And when we're on duty, we're, we're on duty here. So so yeah i mean i i mean i actually had an early manager that that i don't know why but he he just had this fantasy of of kind of me being in a rock band and i i wasn't in a rock band i'd done i'd written all my songs on my own i demoed everything on my own i played every instrument because i mm-hmm. i mean i grew up playing instruments in the house i mean there's a drum kit piano so i played everything um but, uh, yeah, that was one reason why I kind of didn't want to go down that road just because I was I was cautious about that.
1: Yeah, definitely. And that the the being a solo artist thing, do you find that because did you like that all the time or did you kind of go out on the road and see other bands and every now and again be like, oh, I kind of wish I had some other people to fall back on because it's just me. Uh,
0: well, uh, well, I liked it because I—I mean, I was buddies with the guys that I hired. I, mm-hmm. you know, and so we were quite cozy. You know, like oh, that's we, good. We We're friends. You know, it wasn't. Yeah. It wasn't like you know when you're when you're a big act like you're a Madonna. I shouldn't speak about her in particular, but I mean, <laughs> typically, I mean, in every single case I know of, if you're an A-list draw, which of course I never was, but I mean, if you're if you're consistently touring it's like twenty thousand to fifty thousand seat venues, mm-hmm. um you're the big star is not hanging with the guys in the band right right they don't hang you know you have a band you have a musical director the musical director will whip the ensemble into shape and then big a-list musical superstar will just show up and do the show but i was never like that um i mean we weren't that big but even if we had been that big i don't know that that would have been of any interest to me um because I liked hanging with the guy. So I feel I feel like, I guess, a long story short, I feel like I got the best of both worlds. I found great guys, great personalities. That was almost more important to me than technical expertise. Because you can always find some nerd who can play, you know, I mean, beyond a, I mean, and by the way, it's not like, you know, it's not I mean, I was trying to do kind of classic power pop songs. Yeah. So it's not like I was doing like Ravel Bolero or Tchaikovsky or something. So, <laughs> I mean, <clears throat> So the technical demands for kind of basic pop, rock and roll, mm-hmm. <clears throat> at least in my case, we're not really that high. So anything over that baseline, it was just about personality. Can we have fun together? And so that, that's what I had in those right. few years. Yeah.
1: That's awesome. How did the uh, LDS documentary come about? When did that, was that your idea or somebody approached you for it?
0: Are you talking about the PBS frontline one? Yes. Oh well after I left uh that um we're talking for people that are watching I I was born into the Mormon slash LDS religion and uh, I left um that's a whole other that's probably another segment but uh <laughs> um, maybe of little interest to your viewers but um well, and then I went on to a like sort of a bulletin board where you could kind of talk about your experiences. And, you know, there was a bunch of people's like, I just realized my entire life is a lie is very upsetting for people. Of course we're talking about, I mean, in that case, we're not talking about people that sort of church shopped and then found a church that they liked because they like the pastor. We're talking about people that were born into a one true truth. They're absolutely certain that they're in the one true way. I mean, you know, uh, you, imagine you know and so it, it's a completely life consuming thing you know it's mm-hmm. like you know th- i mean this is you know three decades you know decades ago now but yeah I, so i think the mormon church has kind of relaxed things now but certainly you know when i was younger um i mean it was a pretty intense it was like a jehovah's witness thing or a scientology thing like it's a real it kind of takes over your life right so yeah. so there were Anyway, to get back on track. So people would kind of go on and share their experience kind of coming to realize that they'd been wrong about their these beliefs that were the most important thing to them. How did they find out? How? Why did they realize that? Well, because you can. Well, the Internet helped because you can now kind of go online and and within, you know, an hour you can absolutely see that the, you know, the inventor of Mormonism didn't tell the truth about his experiences. Right. You know, I mean, if you, if you have documentary evidence and the guy's contradicted himself like 10 times, yeah. You know, I was born in Las Vegas. I was born in London. I was born in Istanbul. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, the, the guy's like not a reliable source of information about him. Sure. Yeah. So, um, so I, so I posted a couple things on there and, uh, and the documentary maker, um, was sort of lurking and looking around and she saw some of my posts on there and contacted me and said, would you like to be in this big, you know, it was like a PBS frontline. I think it was a four hour thing. It was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that was a whole other experience. Um,
1: were you hesitant to say yes at first or were you, were you on board immediately?
0: Well, (laughs) if you want to know, um, I was okay to uh, at first. I mean, I'd done a whole bunch of interviews and, you know, because of music. So it's not like it was the first time, I, not that I was particularly good at them, but it's not like <laughs> I hadn't been in a camera bef- uh, in front of a camera before. Yeah. Right, I said, right. sure. And I met with the, the producer uh, or director. Um, she seemed very genial. She seemed open. She seemed sincere. And, well, I'd like to hear more about these experiences. And you mentioned this. And this. so she'd done a bit of homework and, you know, so, you know, I, I, I walked away with the impression that, you know, she was doing sort of an impartial look at this, you know, we'll say quirky, I mean, we char- charitably put it, quirky <laughs> yeah. religion. Yeah. Um, And then, so I said, yeah, sure, I'll do it. So then months went by and I didn't hear back. And I think they were, they had a funding problem. So the documentary was on hold. They already had stuff in the can, but so quite a bit of time went by. I don't remember this was years ago. I don't remember how long. And then out of the blue one day, she, she contacted me and said, well, you know, we're, we're kicking this back into gear. Would you like to come down, fly down to San Francisco? You can do the interview. And I, so I said, sure. And I think, it was the day before we were supposed to do the interview. She called me and she sounded very different,
1: Hmm.
0: very different. Right. Okay. Like weirdly for me, it was like, I mean, so she, she, she started to say things like, I don't want anything negative said about Mormonism. Wow. well it's not like i wanted to go on and bash mormonism you know? right yeah. I mean, There's a lot of great people that you know you know are mormons or whatever
3: right um but you didn't feel the impartialness that you felt originally just like a like where she was trying to show a documentary looking in now she was trying to steer you
0: well that's yeah that was the impression i got and she was kind of steering me towards only saying supportive things and that was completely different, um, yeah. to what had happened before. And yeah. so then I, you know, I spent that night kind of wondering if I should even show up for the interview the next day. Right. And, um, I decided not to. Oh, so wow. I just went to Fisherman's Wharf. I was in San Francisco. I was, I was wandering around. I, this was like pre smartphones and stuff. And I don't even know if Facebook was going yet. So it was kind of more difficult to get hold of people. Right. And somehow or other, um they'd rented out the Masonic Hall somewhere in the Bay Area and to, to do the interview. And I didn't show up because I didn't want to be part of a puff piece. Yeah. And it seemed yeah. like basically she was she had said the night before that she wanted it to be a puff piece. Um that was the impression I got. Um mm-hmm. and so somehow or other. Like two, I was two hours late. I think they had four hours marked off for the interview, and they got hold of me and she or her assistant. And no, 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 uh, please just come down, just say, just tell your story. Okay, forget what happened last night, just please come down and be part of this. And you know, we, I know I want to hear what you have to say. Well, it was so it was like another 180. So wow. I have no idea what that was about. My hunch but this is pure speculation. Um, It might be completely wrong. My hunch was that they, they struggled to get funding. And I think the church came on and funded. Wow. That would make sense. I do know. Yeah. I do know. And perhaps not coincidentally. And by the way, like Scientology and all these these outfits, I mean they are super sensitive about PR. I mean, yeah, yeah. Like the Mormon Church, I mean, they they were hiring top New York PR firms to kind of mainstream the message and make them not look so weird. Um So I, well, I so I did find out that she had been granted, wow, where did this come from? Granted, unprecedented access. To the leaders of the Mormon Church, in oh like my god! Yeah, prior to like her kind of continuing the documentary and bringing me in, and she'd been wined and dined, well, metaphorically speaking, so they don't drink wine, but she'd been <laughs> wine and dined all you know on Salt Lake City, and had gotten in to talk to like the you know the the top guys. I mean, nobody gets to talk, you know, yeah. or very few people get to talk to those guys. So uh, my my guess afterwards was that they'd kicked in the money, given her, they'd seen an opportunity to kind of steer this this potentially troublesome documentary in their direction. And this was, by the way, this was before the South park really went after them before they oh, probably yeah. just gave up hoping that they could control their, their public image. Um, so I don't know if that happened. Um, I don't know if the funding thing happened or what, but so I did it and um, I, I should put a few minutes in of my chat. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's insane though. That's like some like
1: sketchy, like infiltration shit. Like it's almost like uh I've heard some similar things about Scientology because I had a friend in Los Angeles that I kind of knew, like, whatever, but they had wound up being in Scientology for a bit. And it was, like, some of the shit on a lower level was, like, fucking crazy. Yeah. And it's frightening.
0: (laughs) So what'd she say?
1: Just that there was, like, that the hierarchy was very real and, like, like, some of those meetings and stuff like that that you do have to wind up going to were, like very um you know none of this gets out kind of a thing if you choose to leave like whatever like you know uh there's like this this and this you're not allowed to say like there was like this whole weird breakdown and she didn't stay very long she went to like a couple classes but they were very like um i don't know she said it was like very like white roby like you know um kind of like trying to sweep her off her feet kind of a thing but then also it got very like um uh, very restrictive in what she could and couldn't do and who she couldn't see anymore after that. Cause I think she was dating somebody and they were like, absolutely not. Um, you will not be seeing anybody in the meantime, like while you're, while you're with us and we you know we'll find you somebody <laughs> like within the church yeah. and like all that other shit. And it was like, she said it got really creepy. That was basically like the gist of it. And, and she got out before it got like way too serious. Um, but I can't even imagine what it's gotta be on a whole other level like that. Like and we had Leah Remini stuff.
3: Yeah. We yeah. had a friend of the, of the show, another comedian that actually grew yeah. up Mormon as well. And he was
1: telling his story similar. Yeah, it is. It's a very weird thing. Did you at all feel like you were, uh, I don't know, threatened or going to be in trouble at anything for speaking out against it or leaving when you left? Did you felt like a little worried at the time?
0: Well, you know, it's a funny thing. Um, I mean, I, by the time I I I left, so I, I sort of had this. Okay, I mean, <clears throat> I didn't realize we we're going to get into this. So stop me if it's boring. But no, no. I no, mean, I know spent- funny? we have people commenting that this is actually very like very interesting. Uh, that they're uh, they're uh, enthralled by it. Yeah. Well, th- I was a very sincere believer. Okay, so mm-hmm. I mean, like a lot of people, I had you know experiences that were very moving for me and particular areas you know you know moments of my life and you know when you're in a, a religion like that you interpret all of those experiences which you later discover almost everyone else has had right you're not really quite you can't quite feel that um you interpret all of those experiences as just further proof that you are in the one true way mm It it, it is God's only true way. So all of those things just kind of bolster your conviction. So you're just absolutely certain. And so what what happened to me is that I, you know, I, I won't bore you with the the details because they're kind of irrelevant. But one day, well, okay. I volunteered to be the adult Sunday school church. This is like a uh, teacher. This is like 20 uh, something years ago, but mm-hmm, okay. so I volunteered to be the adult Sunday school teacher. I was always younger than most of the people, but, um, whatever, I thought it would be fun. And so I started to kind of dig into the lessons and prepare the lessons. And I started to find what to me were, were troubling kind of contradictions in some of Joseph Smith's claims. Right. Okay. okay. Both can't be true. So it's like you know George Orwell double think, like 1984. Like if A is true, not A can't be true. Mm, Yeah. So, so you you know, and these were things that you know I hadn't actually known about before. So I kind of hadn't been immunized mentally against them. So, so to me, they you know made a big impression. I was like, wait a second, you know, how, how can that be true if if the other thing is true and so I dug, 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 well, and I was absolutely confident that I would find an answer, you know, th- th- some, an, an explanation after all, my entire life had been based on the one true way. Right. I mean, I was, I, I was in deep, you know, with, with family stuff, you know, marriage stuff. I mean, I was really, you know, it was, it was my, like, it was the, the most important thing in my whole life. So,
3: yeah.
0: and, and, and in the past, whenever questions had come up, you know, there's always somebody that'll be like, well, you know, I, we, you know, there's some sort of, I I want, I want to call them mind games. There's some sort of mind game to keep you in a belief state, but it doesn't strike you necessarily as a mind game at the time, Mm -hmm. even though it maybe doesn't fully, you know, clear up the confusion, but you're so emotionally, spiritually committed. And there's so much else that seems to be going right. Right. right? There's so many other what appear to be contact points with reality you know, it's like, oh, wow, you know, we don't drink and I don't have a disease related to drinking. So, you know, <laughs> wow, that's, that's great. You know, so that's <laughs> like further proof that I'm in the one true way. Right. Um, okay. So, so as you're, when you're a believing member, what you don't realize it is just the most important thing for you is to just remain in that mind state of belief. Is the moment you're out of that. I mean, it, it, I mean, your world, your world would implode. I mean, it just, it dissolves. Yeah. I mean, you. Yeah. It's just unthinkable. It's literally mm-hmm. unthinkable. So when you have a question, you're not thinking like, well, what if this means the entire religion is a fraud? You're just, the first thing you think is like, well, how does this make sense? How could these two things possibly be true? Right. So I go through this for like two years where every, so I, it starts with one little issue. I dive, 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 try to get an answer on that. I ended up actually writing to some of the leaders of the church to get clarification. Right. That's how sincere I was. Wow. I was very, very earnest about it. Um, And of course they have no answer, you know, so they kind of, I got a little bit of a brush off. So I kept on digging, digging. Um, But every attempt to find a kind of a resolution to, to the, the, to to the latest problem would just turn up like three new problems that had never even occurred to me before. And it, you know, and I'm like, what, you know? So after two years of this like torturous ordeal, I'm not speaking to anybody about this because you're not going to go to church and say to your, you know your pastor in the Mormon Church—they call them bishops—but mm-hmm. you're not going to go say to your, you know, your congregation's leader, "Hey, um, I'm doubting that we're in the one true way." um Right. Right. I, I mean, yeah. You know, it, it's just—it's not like that. In fact, like as some of your re- viewers will know, um, once a month, you know, you know, you have a meeting. You have meetings every Sunday in the Mormon Church, and one of those meetings every month is what's called a testimony meeting where it's open mic and anyone from the congregation can get get up to the front and sort of profess their faith. Wow. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that this is God's only true religion. And you know, so when you when you step outside of it it looks it looks like something of a kind of group hypnosis exercise. Yes. OK, right. But when you're in it, you know, it's a sincere sharing of your conviction and you might sure. tell some cool stories and experiences that happen. You know, I I prayed and God answered my prayer in this way or whatever. So anyway, after two years of of this, just this kind of lonely, increasingly torturous, confusing and and, you know, and disorienting and actually scary, you know, it's scary um, ordeal. Yeah. Like one day I found like this final straw that broke the camel's back. And, and the, just the jig was up in one moment. It was just in that moment. It was like Neo at the end of the matrix where he you know, <laughs> it's like just ones and zeros. Right. Yeah. And I just, in that moment and I did, I, you know, it's not like I wanted to get to that moment. I just, mm-hmm. I never thought that I, I never thought that was even a possibility. I was just trying to find out like what the true explanation was for some of these problems in that moment. It just snapped and evaporated and, and I felt really sick to my stomach. It was just, I mean, like, Oh, just, yeah, it was just horrible. And, and, and it was, you know, I also felt that in that moment that I could suddenly see how psychologically it, it had all worked. Mm-hmm. Right. Like all the mind games that I never saw as mind games. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I suddenly saw how they worked. And and one last thing on this is in kind of leading up in the minutes leading up to that one particular moment, I found yet another problem that I'd never heard of with kind of fundamental Mormon truth claims. Right. And and I'm like, and when I when I read about this problem, then my first thought was like, this is a killer. This is devastating. There's no way back from this. I wonder what the church defenders will have said about this, how to explain this away. Because they, they have, a, they have a, at least at the time, I don't know about now, they employed a team of professional defenders that were like, like the worst kind of defense attorneys that were, you know, Holy like the Menendez shit. brothers, defense, you know, like making stuff up to just try yeah. to keep everyone in a belief state or whatever. Um, and where I'm going is is that I thought to myself, I wonder what the pro church defenders how they would ever have tried to explain this thing away. Right. And in that moment, I knew exactly what sorts of tricks they were going to play. <laughs> In in their defense, in their explanation, yeah. And I was online, and I'm like, I in that moment, I thought, I I would I am able to write right now, the professional explanation away of this problem, right? Because, I, you know, and and I I searched, searched, and I found an article from the official Mormon Church magazine from I think 1981, where in fact their goon squad, you know, their intellectual goon squad. Had had addressed this controversy. And of course it was exactly what I thought it was going to be It was all the same tricks. Wow. Yeah. And, and, and that was that, that was the moment where it was, it just was over. And Mm -hmm. I knew it was just over. Yeah. I knew it was a fraud and my whole life had been based on a fraud. That and had to be so that,
3: devastating, for like your whole world to collapse around you, right? Like your
0: yeah, well structures. Well, in, in in all these really important ways, it means you're a fraud. Yeah, you didn't right. even know you were a fraud. It, it, your whole sense of identity, your sense of purpose and right and wrong, and of, of futurity. What what you know? What would the rest of your life be like? What would you be like? Mm-hmm. If you're fifty or sixty or seventy, and you've got grandkids or whatever. You know. What happens yeah. after we die? I mean, you know, so that, that all implodes. So you're, you know, it dissolves. And so, you know, it's very, very, it's very upsetting, but also back in the real world, I mean, that kind of goes on in your head, sure. but in the real world, you're losing your friends, you're losing your, you know, your community. Um, They think you're evil. They don't want to listen to what you've discovered. Right. Yeah. Most of these people don't. Yeah, I mean, if you call up and say, "Hey, Jimmy, you know, guess what? I found out about Joseph Smith. You know, he didn't tell the truth," and you know, they hang up the phone. They don't want to hear it. They think you, you like Satan captured
2: you.
1: Yeah, Yeah. the cognitive dissonance is too too hard for them to
0: process. Don't want to hear it.
3: Did it cause like tremendous strife with like your family and uh and like your close circle?
0: Yes, yes. Let's leave it at that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No worries. Um, But but back to your original question, John. Um within i i did actually reach out to a few people to let them know kind of what had happened mm-hmm. and and these were people that i was very close to one you know a couple of relatives that that kind of knew knew me and you know we were all very sincere believers and i didn't i didn't call up to say hey you should leave the mormon church i would never even presume to say that right um because for all i knew i mean in that moment i felt like i didn't know anything except that, you know, Mormonism was a fraud um, Sure, yeah. that it wasn't what it claimed to be. But I did call up and say, Hey, you know, I, I, I'm leaving the the church, you know, I'm, le- I'm leaving the church. And um, wow. if you'd like to know why I can tell you. So within like literally within probably a week and a half of me leaving as a result of just me reaching out to people that I was close to, I, I counted it up. I think it was 45 People left Holy in the Pacific shit. Northwest area, and they were, they were like stalwart members. These are not wow. like marginal guys that like drink beer on Saturday and then go to church on Sunday. These were yeah, yeah. leaders. We were all serving leadership positions. I I wasn't only the adult Sunday school teacher. I was also helping run the congregation. Right. So it might wow. be. So to answer your question is that nobody came after me physically or anything like mm-hmm. that, and there was no threat of anything like that. But um nobody the odd thing is is typically when you leave the mormon church they try to they what they they call it like fellowship you back in so they try to reach out to you and invite you to find out what your you know your problems were and they they assume that you're just confused or you're struggling with sin and you're right. kind of you know you're kind of shifting blame over to god's only true religion to kind of feel better about your sin wow and nobody did that for me nobody one one guy came over once on his own to try to talk to me about that but there was no that institutional effort to pull me back in so i don't know if it was that they didn't care because i wasn't on the radar screen or that people were wigged out that i might infect them with like the satanic falsehoods. And I, so I, I was like, a, do you think there's a
1: possibility they knew what you knew? Like they, they knew exactly what you were telling other people. And they were like, he knows way too much. Like there's no bringing this guy back.
0: I don't know. I, I really, I don't know. I never, I, I never went back I to, to church and I, you know, the, the one thing that did happen was anonymous guys set about to destroy my character online Wow. Okay. So they would go on to blogs and, and make up, I have to say they were very well done. I mean, these lies were really, they, they sounded convincing. I yeah. mean, if I had not been me, I might've believed them. <laughs> I mean, it. Was like scary. I mean, seriously, it's like scary. I'm like, what the, you know, I'm like reading this thing and it's like, you know, Tal is not, you know, Tal was never the devout member that people say he was. I've been over to his house many times when he you know, when he lived here. Well, it's like I actually lived there. Okay, so you got that right. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, so there's all these kinds of like corroborating details. I'm like, what the? Like, who is this? But the but the claims are false. Now you want to talk about evil? That is malicious. Yeah, yeah. And that is malicious. I mean, it wasn't fabricated out of whole cloth. There was enough sort of pegs that were there that you could. So if somebody kind of knew me, they would. They really, like, yeah. Well, this guy's obviously telling the truth. But the the real core of the claims was false. And it was everything from like personal things that were like just absurd personal things that were were, were trying to embarrass me that had no basis in reality to kind of more nefarious things. And none of it was true. I was a completely devout... I was the guy bothering guys that were now defaming me to live Mormonism more devoutly up until like a month and a half earlier i mean i was that guy in the church i was like hey guys you know we got to get it together we got to do our <laughs> assignments we got a service project on saturday we got to help you know this widow move i right. was, you know now they were like trying to destroy me kind of and did anonymously you, yeah and did you feel like compelled to defend yourself or were, like how how
1: aware of this were you because nowadays people go down a spiral of like when they're especially when they're famous or whatever's going on when somebody's saying shit about them i mean it's endless and you have to kind of separate yourself from it did you feel like getting involved in it or were you able to go fuck this i don't need it
0: i on on maybe three of these sort of bloggy website thingies i i actually logged on and posted a rebuttal wow but um and i wondered if maybe it would make sense for me to try to like hire a lawyer to get these guys to just stop trying to defame me right but but I mean, I was a bit torn because I was already so kind of upset and in kind of recovery survival mode. And I had family, you know, issues going on that I was trying to fix that as a result of this thing that I just thought, you know, I don't know if anyone reading this, I really even, you know, I don't even know who's reading these things or if anybody is really reading these right. things, and even yeah. if they are. I'm not sure I should spend my precious time right now at a time of emergency Yeah. for people around me, you know, um, family members and stuff kind of chasing down trolls.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. So
0: yeah. I kind of left it. Um, and it's probably still up there like 20 years later. But,
1: well, the craziest thing uh, to me, one of the craziest things to me is that 20 years ago, somebody could use the Internet to actually find information and break themselves out of a cult as opposed to now where it's just disinformation to get people involved and remain in cults like that is that's what we're dealing with on the, uh, with the Internet now.
0: yeah. I mean, there's lots of different kinds of cults, that's for sure. Yeah.
1: Do you find it stigmatizing, yeah. though, like in this day and age, as far as like when you see something politically happening or any of that kind of stuff where you're like, oh, my God, these people have been indoctrinated into, you know, and they don't even realize it. Like, like you know, as far as like January 6th, you know, that kind of thing. Are you like, oh, my God, I could help them, but nobody's
0: going to listen? <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I I feel like, I mean, I see some of the same techniques used to manipulate people that that I kind of personally experienced and became aware of from you know, um, and sometimes that actually kind of helps me get through to people because I, I you know I I can sort of disable the oh like a bomb the, the apparatus you know that's kind right. of been implanted into their heads
1: right um, yeah one of my best friends is a Jehovah is an ex Jehovah's Witness. And through, like, the last four years of, like, you know, uh, political strife and everything going on, like, it's been, you know, it's definitely stirred some stuff up in him as far as, like, he remembers, you know, just indoctrination family stuff and all that other shit. And then now he's kind of seeing it play out. And it dri- it really, like, it, it, you know, freaks him out and bugs him because he's, like, he feels like he could see everything that's happening yeah. to people yeah. and you can't do anything about it.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I mean okay well one one thing that i i one kind of little thing that i developed um w- when it came to mormon stuff was that you know well first of all I, I, yeah i mean just to wrap up with the mormon stuff before sure. we move, move on but i mean it it seemed to me like well okay let me back out so i'm trying to calm myself <laughs> down. i got like a million thoughts going on in my head i
3: hear you man i get it and we all think like that it's yeah, okay
0: exactly it's it's overwhelming I yeah. like yoga for the next five seconds but <laughs> I do <laughs> take know, a commercial yeah. break. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, well, I know people that when they, it's not like n- people that have never been involved in something like this, don't understand that you're not just leaving a congregation and then yeah. maybe moving to another congregation or not going anymore. It, it it's, it's way beyond that. Um, mm-hmm. It's so... And where, what, what, in it, it, like where it starts is that sincere belief. It's absolute certainty. So you are absolutely certain that you have like objective, perfect knowledge. Okay, and then something happens, and you're totally rocked, and you you question yourself about absolutely everything. You're afraid to believe anything at all after that. If wow. you if you're an absolutely sincere believer and you have that core certainty, um. And then you find out in a way that you can't even deny, even though every molecule in your body is screaming for you to deny it, because it would hurt so badly. um, You're afraid to believe anything anymore. Well, what does that mean? Well, it kind of means that you're almost a nihilist. Like you, you, you know, right. How do you function in a society, in a family, in a, in a work office? If, you know, if, if, you know, in any endeavor, if in the, now in the back of your head or you made the front of your head you're thinking well nothing matters mm-hmm. we're all going to die anyway yeah i don't even know if i can believe why would i have faith in like the nobility of this novel like you know this documentary i'm volunteering on whatever it is or you yeah. know the, you know um yeah. so where i'm going is is like i've known a- quite a few people that have fallen to pieces when they lose that faith mm-hmm. so i never wanted to just go destroy You know destroy faith because you know what they believed in wasn't true you know it wasn't true but it seemed to be holding them together like they were an alcoholic you know beat up their wife got arrested and now they found like this this faith community and they're living actually a productive successful life maybe for the first time ever i mean you have to really be a jerk to just bust in and say by the way everything you believe and which is holding you together mm-hmm. is fake so i so so i was always cautious about who i would talk to but when somebody did seem like they might kind of be open and that you know or or i should say if they came after me um online or in person it's like hey well you know what happened with that or da-da-da-da. um i would always lead with i would always lead with i'm talking about devout mormons here yeah i would lead with Before we go on, let me ask you a question. It's hypothetical. If by some crazy chance Mormonism were not what it claimed to be, would you want to know? So I'm not saying it's not, because then they can't have their reflexes don't kick in. I'm Mm -hmm. not saying it's not what it claims to be. I'm asking you to step outside of yourself for one second and just answer me that question. After all, if you found out it wasn't what it claimed to be, you might lose your husband or your wife, your kids, your job. If you live in Utah that you, I mean, yeah, it would just be absent. And I, I would say like most of those people, it shuts them up right away. And, um, I would say maybe 60 plus percent of the time they'll say, well, now that you put it that way, no, I guess I wouldn't want to know. And then that's the end of the conversation.
1: Yeah. That's a, that's a tough thing to ask, man. I mean, I give you props for even, you know, trying to approach it with people. Are, are, do you find that, you know, like, like not to stay on it so we can get a little off of it, but so did music in your life and kind of doing that kind of stuff, help you cope with all of the shit that you were dealing with after that? Did it, did writing and having a creative outlet, kind of bring you out of it
0: well i i mean sadly um that that realization of mine kind of coincided with you know columbia records r- reshuffling its portfolio and dropping me and a bunch of other wow. artists so yeah that happened kind <laughs> of at right. the same time so i didn't i didn't have the solace of like you know reaching people with you know songs oh. you know after that so
1: that's heartbreaking yeah yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, but, like, to have that happen at the same... That's, like, one of my friends is going through something where, literally, I feel like she... You know, it, there's just... You know when just, like, a bunch of dominoes get knocked over at the same... Yeah. She's like, could any more fucking shit yeah. happen? And I'm like, don't and, say that.
0: Yeah, because they always <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm like,
1: let's just... Yeah, but the good,
0: news, yeah, the good news is you're getting it all over with, you know, all at once. Yeah. You know, you put it all behind you and move on. There's something yeah. to be said, man, for my...
1: I, we had a, um, a guy, uh, this... Uh, this um psychologist who wrote a book about um, human emotions, the history of human emotions. Great. His name is Dr. Richard Firth. He's awesome. Um, And, you know, we were kind of talking about resilience in people and how it's really something that's not terribly understood very well yet. We don't know what makes somebody particularly resilient or not. Mm. We just know that some people are able to do something like what you did, which is pull yourself out of a situation, because that takes a lot of mental energy to go, my foundation of the world I'm in is crumbling. I have to know more. Like you could have stopped at any time researching this shit and just gone like, forget it and pulled out. But instead you were like, no, I need to know more. Um, and I, you know, you could have not told 45 people about it. You could have kept it to yourself and jump ship. That's a lot of resilience, man. That's a lot of strength. Uh, and I, you know, I don't know how long it took you to realize that about yourself, but I think that's pretty impressive, man. It's not, not a lot of people can do that.
0: Well, thanks. I guess, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, mean, <laughs> I, I, well, I had asked myself that question, yeah, a, a day or two prior to my big moment,
2: mm-hmm. and
0: I couldn't immediately answer it. I it took me. I was landscaping my yard at the time. I was putting in a pond, and I just remember, you know, it was like hour after hour of like digging and. And just kind of mulling over whether I would even want to know, like, wh- what if I was completely wrong? And we've kind of been brainwashed and we didn't even realize it because it was right. going on since birth. Um, And after like a few days, I I'd sort of said, yeah, I guess I would want to know, you know, come what may. Yeah. And then it was like a day later, it was just like, <laughs> wow, it's incredible, man. Um, I I do want to
3: talk to you about, uh, Oh God, you know, I had a quick question just as a transit, as we transition back over towards a little more towards music, because like when you were going through all of this, I feel like that lifestyle didn't coincide with like that pop rock lifestyle. Right. So you were very like, did you ever feel any type of regret for not living that rock and roll lifestyle while you were going through it or
0: no? Uh, Well, not for that reason. Um, yeah, I mean, I was. Yeah, I mean, I remained, you know, an observant Mormon through that entire period. I, I mean, I don't know. I guess I can't say I re I regret not going berserk. Um, I don't know. Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah. I mean, it, to answer it honestly, I would have to bring other people into the conversation and, uh, you know, mention mention them. And I don't know if I want to do that, but
3: I know I'll that you- bet for an or, an off air combo another time. No worries. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, I guess he, it's crossed. I guess it's crossed my mind a few times, but yeah, I yeah. got
3: you. But everything happens. For, I mean, I'm i I'm so I'm not super like religious, but I'm very spiritual, and I'm I'm very much universe, right? I just believe it's everybody's different perceptions of stuff, right? So okay. I have I have a deep conversation a lot with I have a brother-in-law who's an atheist, hmm. and my and his mother is very uh, Catholic. So we start to... And I'm like, can't you just shift your vantage points and maybe they're just looking at <laughs> from this angle and you look at it from this angle? Maybe everybody's right, right? Because it might be. I give I give it very like... I just try to be good. I think most religions, like core basis are good and things get uh, twisted, right? For other people's purposes. But for
0: the most part... Well, it can you know, be, but you, it's the same with kind of atheist ideologies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, you start off just saying, like, well, I'm not going to believe anything for which there is no sort of documented empirical evidence. Yeah. And then you yeah. can wind up doing all kinds of terrible stuff because, you know. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. Because you're like, why bother? <clears throat> yeah. Why? Yeah. yeah what yeah. What is forbidden to me if there is nothing higher than meaningless part, you know, particles and meaning in meaningless motion? yeah, yeah. There's, so,
1: there's somewhere in between the, there's somewhere in between because i mean i think just being a d de- like for the most part like i don't i don't believe in anything in particular but i do i do love the the idea of mixing both of them and doing like an energy type of thing or like you know like i i like i can't think of the name of them but i love those particles that they found that they higgs boson. thank you they can communicate
0: right. through like ridiculous yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. That like that's Bosan, fascinating is that you like
0: know? the boson higgs thing boson like- higgs thing yeah yeah yeah, that's and pretty freaky. I wonder what that's about. Me too. Interdimensional. Dude. We yeah. could all be living multiple that's and, amazing. And that's that's faster than the speed of
1: light, right? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. It's so crazy. How is that possible? I yeah, you got me, dude. And I and I I love reading about that stuff, and it's all pretty much over my head, and I'm always waiting for it to click one day and it doesn't. I just I just have to accept the fact that these guys know what they're doing.
3: I can't wrap my head around it, but I love the whole like. Did you see when the discovery was was truly quantified? Like all of these incredibly intelligent individuals, like yeah. popping champagne. They're like, "This is it." They found like what they call is the God particle, mm-hmm. and it just shows that like how energy never ends, and we may be like
1: there may be like so many versions of us all running at the same time. Oh God, yeah. The so other thing crazy. is too is like in space, like they literally like we're constantly question like they found uh i don't know if it was a solar system or whatever it was but that does not apply to our laws of physics like they literally a just found hole, something yeah. yeah and they were just like yeah i guess that exists now i don't know what to make of it you know it's all it's all a mystery i only started to look like jesus recently like this is new like i don't believe in anything one way or the other <laughs> but I you know i accidentally stumbled upon another, this face and that's
0: it okay yeah uh, <laughs> I- <laughs> That was oh, great. You know, funny. I mean, I don't know how you. I don't know how. Honestly, if you're a reasonable person, I don't know how you get to hardcore atheism. No, no, i Because either. I you can't shut the window, and you know you got these weird things that happen, and you're like, okay, well, you know, prior to the discovery of quantum physics, I mean, nobody, yeah. nobody imagined that that was another realm. Now, I'm not saying God is running quantum physics. I'm just saying it's a reminder that we really, there's a lot of stuff we don't know. Sure. Yeah. So, so if you're co- kind of constantly, you know, cognizant of that, um, I don't know how you rule out some of these things. And if you can't rule them out, that's your little window for faith of some kind. Right? Absolutely. Even if it's something quite basic, like I think everything is happening for a reason. I think there's some giant kind of cosmic purpose, but I have no idea what that might be. I mean, even that, and that sort of, incipient phases you, you couldn't you couldn't be an atheist i don't know i don't get i don't get these like the richard dawkins guys that never shut up about it and
1: yeah yeah and that guy seems genuinely angry most of the time like i just need him talk it to seems people it's
0: like a crabbed soul you know yeah, like a yeah, yeah. weird little twisted bitter you know yeah. he's the grinch that stole everyone else's christmas you know? <laughs> literally uh, i mean not not ours maybe because <laughs> we're not you know yeah, literally. Yeah, literally. Literally, yeah. I mean, maybe it's not for us, but you know, you right. think about the people whose only consolation left in life is that they're going to see their little kid again in the afterlife who was taken too early, and yeah. Richard Dawkins and Sam Harris have to show up and say, "You're <laughs> nuts." they did start going door to door from what i understand they were (laughs) during the pandemic they
1: were like this is all meaningless and their
0: their door to door is going from tv interview to tv interview right right reaching millions of people you know (laughs) anyway no i get it It on the same page
1: dawkins had said something recently over twitter and i thought like you didn't have to do that what do you (laughs) think oh god it was something about babies dude what was it it was really like it
0: It was the down syndrome one It was the down syndrome one that was was a few years ago
1: it was a few years ago and i thought man of all the things you didn't have to say you you went to your
0: phone or he has no he has a whole history of doing stuff like that though and he didn't say he didn't say just for, and this is like some years, yeah. You know, this is like six, seven years ago. He right. didn't say, I think if you're, if you find out that you're carrying a down syndrome child that you should have the option. He didn't say that. Mm-hmm. He said, abort it and try again.
1: Oh, yeah, that's exactly. yeah. That's he exactly. issued a
0: positive declaration, abort it and try again. Yes, exactly. Like you're resetting a game. Yeah. And I know a lot of parents of kids with down syndrome and they and I take them at their word that it, it's been a wonderful experience, not without challenges, Sure. but that if they had it to do over again, they absolutely would give birth again. Right. That, that little child has brought such joy into their lives. And we have Richard Dawkins, who's supposedly a morally enlightened person just because, <laughs> you know, is an atheist, ordering people to abort them all. Right. I, mean, um, I don't know how that's any better than some of the crazies on the religious side.
1: Yeah, no, it's not. Agreed. It's definitely... A weird weird swing in the other direction holy shit um, we, we do have a lot of
3: questions I, I'd love to would yeah I'd love to get to the questions up? too sure bring them up yeah just because uh Tal, it's actually I thought it was Utah <laughs> this gentleman's name is Tal Backman 865 is his handle he says I'll ask it again Tal did you get to play the Gretsch after you guys got it
0: back um does your audience know what that question means? No. Could you, could you, yeah, okay. quick rundown? Um. Yeah. When my dad was a teenager in Winnipeg in Canada, he saved up his money and bought a 1957 Gretsch 6120. Wow. And on that guitar, he wrote all of his big hits in the guess who, so we or, or, or played it on them. Um, right. But most of them, <clears throat> most of the hits in the, in the guess who and BTO were written on his, his Gretsch guitar. So the Gretsch, was his baby his pride and joy and it was his like magic guitar okay um it would sort of just it seemed to him write the songs on its own and then one day in 1977 i think it was early 77 it was stolen and my dad was never the same and he pined for this guitar the whole time we were growing up and searched the world for it this is all true and my dad is a very obsessive guy So Mm -hmm. that's kind of, I hinted at that earlier, but (laughs) I mean, it's just like every literally every day was the day when he would wake up and he would think maybe today's the day I'll find my Gretsch again. But, but he never found it. And this guy had caught my dad. He had contacts all over the world looking for it: guitar dealers, pawn shop guys, everybody. Um, This is before the internet. So this is all through the, you know, late seventies through the eighties into the nineties. Well, Miracle of Miracles, long story short, is it turns up two years ago. Wow. With the the help of an amateur internet sleuth. Well, he he found it. The sleuth finds it. Oh my god. And sends an email. And it's like just out of the blue, right? It's like the kidnapped child that you know suddenly. This is my dad. Always says this. <laughs> right? I, yeah, it's probably an inappropriate metaphor. As my dad is saying that, I mean, it's one of millions of inappropriate metaphors. My dad, but um. So anyway, you find so 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 we just like literally two months ago we went to Japan and got his magic Gretsch back, and yes, I did get to strum it, oh, but I'm man. a little bit weird, uh, like wary of playing it too much because i don't want to drop it or break it or anything it's all yeah we don't know where it was for like 45 years right we don't know who stole it we only know that it somehow or other wound up at the dallas guitar show and a japanese used guitar buyer bought it as a part of a you know a collection of guitars he doesn't even remember buying that guitar in particular so i think it was probably thrown in with like other guitars he brought it back to his used guitar shop in tokyo where um, a musician bought it. And so we tracked that musician down and my dad got a kind of the sister. It was actually, it's a ni- 1957 Gretsch 6120, exact same model, not a repro. And ex- right. an, 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 another 1957 probably made the same week, probably by the same guy at the Gretsch factory in Arkansas, which is where it was back then. So yeah, I did get to play it, but um and it's, it's awesome. It's hanging up in the house over here a few feet away. But uh, I don't want to play it too much because I don't want anything crazy to happen. Yeah. Like phenomenal. I like I ruined the magic guitar after <laughs> 35 years. <laughs> I feel like that's a movie waiting to be written of the yeah, story seriously. of the guitar. Like yeah. where it went and how it traveled. Well, well, there's something like that in the works, but we can talk about that on a follow-up. Uh,
3: oh, yeah, absolutely. Very nice. I got an eye for those things, John. I, I tried to nail <laughs> <Yes>. oh. <Yeah. laughs> the, uh Let me see. So Jackie asked, she was wondering if the key lime pie story is real. Yes, of
0: course. <laughs> of course it was. <laughs> you know what that's referring to? No, no what is it? So, no, it's a key lime pie story. Um, there's a restaurant in British Columbia called Cactus Club Cafe it's now actually all throughout canada and they they <laughs> there's another they featured the world's greatest key lime pie at least i Ooh. thought it was and everyone else thought it was that that ever ate there okay. and one day i went to cactus club cafe um when i didn't have a lot going else going on in my life it was a period of loss we'll say and um so one of the my my few remaining joys was to head down to cactus club cafe maybe with a friend or two eat dinner and have the key lime pie. And I went there one day and it was no longer on the menu. Oh man. And so I, yeah, what Jackie's referring to is my, my efforts to um, get it back on the menu. You can imagine how reluctant a restaurant would be to do something like that, right? They'd right. already printed up all the new menus, and they'd replaced <laughs> yeah. it with like the new head chef's like favorite dessert, which I didn't care for at all; it was way too sweet. But um, by that time, this was maybe ten years ago. Um, I was I was playing a, a lot of rugby, so I had all my rugby buddies who are always game for all kinds of crazy things. We all sort of coordinated a letter, you know. Letter, well, not letter, you know, internet, um, emails, um, phone calls to customer service through, uh, you know, screened numbers. I would do different accents. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. Mo- moved here from Scotland. And, I, you know, it, it's, I can't believe it. It took off the menu. Um, you know, I call like like a couple hours later as a Nigerian or whatever. So we did. We had and I coordinated call schedules you can you can tell how how little i had going on in my life um, <laughs> i coordinated call schedules um from people and i have, i had facebook friends that wanted to kind of go along and help us do this that had never even you know eaten at cactus club cafe so i had oh, confederates gosh. um and the it's funny the the management at the this is in victoria british columbia is, is kind of where i was where i've been living um mm-hmm. So they all knew that I was going to try to get it back on the menu. right? And they were all shocked, too, because, you know, it was the classic thing, right? Like, if it's awesome, they stop making it. You know, it's like, what? You know, so the manager was like, yeah, I don't know why they took this off. as one of our best sellers. I don't get it. You know, nobody gets it. We're all in shock, right? Yeah. Um, and so we I, we did this thing for like a, a month or something. I didn't know if it was working. And so I don't, it was like four or five weeks later, I happened to walk into Cactus Club and the manager was like when I, I kind of knew the people there, um, mm-hmm. and when I walked in, he, he kind of turned around and noticed me, and he was like, "Dude," <laughs> and I was like, "What, dude? Freaking did it, dude!" <laughs> I'm like, "What? The key lime pie is like, dude? We just got the new menus, um <laughs> and they put it back on, and it's still on." Oh now, my I, god. Now I'm not saying I was the only person to complain or do anything that extensive. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe there were others. I I mean I haven't heard of any, but, but uh, <laughs> amazing. Anyway, yeah, that's true. That's, degrees that degrees that Lord. that pie is the thing. same as your dad's guitar. It's the same thing. <laughs> you know, here's the thing: is it's like in life. You know, you have a lot of big battles to fight, <laughs> but every once in a while, there's like a little tiny battle mm-hmm. that you just need to somehow fight yeah and that was one of them and yeah
1: beautiful man
3: awesome jaggy also asked why uh why aeroplane isn't on itunes
0: or spotify i noticed that too yeah I a don't good know. question um, yeah i don't i don't know um i think i have like i must have a cd of it somewhere that like with the mastered thing that we probably can upload it i don't know i mean i by that by the time i I, by, the, by the time i sent that song down to the movie makers that was for <laughs> that was for american pie band camp yeah for <laughs> um direct to dvd or something but um <laughs> no it was um but um by the time i did that um i mean i didn't even have a record deal so wow. i just sent the I just sent the recording down. I somehow or other, I got sort of connected with the guy that was putting the movie together and he said, do you have any songs? And I was like, "Um, yeah, I mean, I got a bunch. What are you looking for? Well, you know, something like this, something like that. So I sent down like two or three songs, I think, and they flipped over aeroplane and then they rewrote the whole ending of that movie to be around aeroplane. Wow. Um, But like I said, my, my professional stuff was in such disarray at the time that I don't, I don't even know if it came out properly. I mean, I got a check for it being in the movie, so I was happy. Um, and Spotify didn't exist at the time, but I yeah. guess I could just upload it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Please Hopefully do. Hopefully get another check. Can't hurt, It is right? kind
1: of weird because it is one of those things I think that's only exclusive to the soundtrack. I, I, don't, I don't know if there's an exclusivity to the soundtrack, but there's a couple songs like that where for some reason they're not anywhere else to be found, but they're only on like a random movie soundtrack and that's it.
0: Hmm. well yeah. i guess that's one of them yeah but upload it definitely
1: <laughs> now we're all like do it now all right? <laughs> and then uh
3: i wanted to know like what what was it like finally like was this collaboration with your father like time in the making or were you or did this just hit you and you were like
0: let's do it well um i actually pitched the idea a long time ago like 2006 or something like 15 or 16 years ago. And I mean, it was only a couple of years after aeroplane had been in that uh, American pie movie. And then I think she's so high was put into a couple of Hollywood movies. Um, Mm -hmm. And then it was, you know, it had a resurgence in Europe. So I was still sort of on the radar screen, sort of, if not, if not me, at least the song was, and you know because I never really broke as an artist. It was really just the song took on a life of its own. And but everybody and, in the
3: world sings yeah. that song. Like when you yeah, say the I, title of it, they start yeah, singing I mean, it. Like, out
0: I could walk into my own concerts through the front door, and no one would even know. Its <laughs> um, you know they just know. They just knew the song, right? So. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Um. But. So I was, but I was, so I, I mean, I had songs that I felt like were out there enough so that that could sort of be an interesting hook so that if dad and I did a father son album together, which as far as I knew then, and I still don't know, nobody had really done like certainly Bob and Jacob Dylan have never done that. Leonard Cohen and Adam Cohen never did that. Right. Um, Yeah. Chris Stills and Steven Stills have never done that. And I mean, none of these guys have ever done that. I don't know why, but But I said to dad, um, let's let's do a laid-back Saturday night. It's sort of Nashville Skyline, Early Eagles. So it's not gonna sound like a power pop record from a guy with like multiple personality disorder, which is like what what I wanted my album to sound like. Um, I wanted like the album that she's so high was on, I I wanted it to sound like an old queen record where you had like you know, rock songs, love songs, pop songs novelty songs maybe although i don't think i had a comedy song but but there was like a (laughs) wide um you know array of of approaches it's like that album that um bohemian rhapsody is on the queen record night at the opera like they're all over the place and nobody was doing those um so i was like well i don't want to do that and i said to my dad i'm like you know you did you did a jazz record you did all your BTO kind of rock and roll records. Let's, but you, we've never done, you've never done. I've never done just something that's laid back acoustic It's a little bit, you know, Beck's mutations. It's a bit Bob Dylan, Nashville skyline, like a non insane person would put on this album on a Saturday night, light a fire, open up a bottle of red and you just listen to the, you know, let's do that kind of record. So it's almost like Americana, a bit rootsy and at the time he was doing other stuff and I don't know if the manager didn't think it was a good idea I actually even wrote up like a marketing plan I'm like dad this is like a no-brainer I wow, mean certainly wow. in Canada would be a no-brainer because by then he had a successful CBC radio show so I'm like well you could pr- promote this album on CBC on radio which has a huge following in Canada um, percentage-wise of the population but anyway for some reason it wasn't there in dad's camp, didn't want to do it or whatever. So when COVID hit, <clears throat> um, all the gigs were canceled, all the plans were canceled. So everything stops. And, and, um, I just brought it up again. I already had, and I still had the name, right. I was just like, we'll just call it Bachman and Bachman. It's father and son. We could yeah. do it sort of a laid back story and song theater tour. If we're lucky enough for a song or two to hit and actually get radio play. And it's just something new, um, so we 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 started to like play each other songs that we had from the past that we'd written either alone or with other people, and then we also wrote a few together. So we wound up we have an album in the can, um, but along the lines of of what you suggested, Tom, with the the guitar, um, we're kind of working on a a, a documentary and the album would be part of that documentary. So we're hoping to time nice. the release of those things. So that's sh- with luck, that should be like second quarter next year.
1: Beautiful, man. That's awesome. What are your writing processes like? I mean, you versus your dad, is it similar? Do you find they, they gel well together? Or?
0: Um. Well, yeah, I, well, I mean, ugh. Well, I mean, if dad and I sit down to write a song, um, I mean, either one of us will have sort of a pre-existing idea. So that could be a title. It could be just a concept or it could be like a little chord progression or a little bit of melody. And then we'll, we'll just sort of, you know, work on that. I mean, I might, my dad likes to work very quickly. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot, it's a lot about speed for him. Wow. Right. Um, and I, I tend naturally to just be a little bit more methodical. Um, I mean, it's great when you can write a song in twenty minutes, but if but it's difficult for me if it's like if we get a a, a thing done in twenty minutes, and it just seems like something could be like the third verse isn't quite making it. You know, I I right. want to spend an extra fifteen minutes or whatever. But so so just between the two of us, I mean, we kind of complement each other that way. So we've wound up with some songs that that we like that you know which of course you, you wouldn't have heard yet. But um, but when it comes to like just solo rights on our own, I mean, I guess it's the same thing. It Sometimes you come up with a title and then the title kind of suddenly brings forth a melody and then you just write the whole song to set up that melody, like the, the, the hook. Yeah. Um, other times, I mean, we, we'll, we'll put it like this. I mean, I don't know if it's like this in comedy, but sometimes if you're, you're kind of out of ideas, you'll look at another song as a template. So I don't know if comedians do this with like patterns. Right. So you're, you would be filling in gaps. You're not, you're not copying. Right. Rap, but you would be, I'm just imagining this as I I go. So i am imagining I'm a comedian, (laughs) but you just set up the timing. Right. So you could kind of like, it's the original comedy, four minute comedy thing might've been about a laundromat. And you've made it about flying on an airplane after COVID. Yep. But but all the kind of so so sometimes you do that. Now that sounds like mechanical and kind of crass. But you know, you wind up with a brand new song. The melody's not the same. The chords are different. You've tweaked it as you go. But you've yep. you've looked at another song or maybe three as kind of template or reference points. So yeah. sometimes you put it together like that. Other times they just come like bolts out of the blue and you have like an entire song appears in your head. Wow. Yeah. The, the big challenge is how do you like, how do people, how do you get it out there so that a million people hear it and are touched by it? Yep. Every idiot can upload their album to YouTube. I mean, every guy in the world now is like, yeah, I got an, I, you know, I just finished my album. I, mean, yeah. I don't know about you guys. <laughs> yeah. like, it's like, like 80% of your buddies have an album. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Dude, We, my, my comedian buddies and
1: I talk about the same shit all the time. Now with Instagram and like reels, like you don't have to be good. You can just post your fucking reel with no laughter in the background and no joke. But because your camera work is good and yeah. you look great, people, I mean, people don't even understand that there's no skill involved in that. It just happens.
0: I've Well, on that note, I've I mean, I've watched a number of kind of comedy vids like mm-hmm. on social media yeah and there'll be it's like 812 comments you know within three hours of it being published it's like omg hilarious yeah this girl's my favorite yeah okay it's like laugh emojis and i'm listening to the thing there is like not one remotely funny thing in the yes. entire thing. Yeah. And i'm like like who are these people that think that these comedians are funny Man, I know comedy, man. I was like, I've been doing like comedy shows my whole life, you know. I mean, I mean, like, I would like as a kid, I went to go see Jay Leno, be- you know, long before he was on yeah. the Tonight Show. Yeah, that's and, cool. And he was like friggin', you know, he was a beast. I mean, I think he still is. Yeah, he was ten out of ten. Um, yeah. uh, as a stand-up comedian, um, Stephen Wright years ago, oh, like the years best. ago, ten out of ten. Like, are, and I'm like watching these things, I'm like, I don't think I'm like comedically challenged. This is so <laughs> horrifically, this is like an, this is anti-comedy. Yep. Yep.
1: I'm so but, glad you said that, dude, because it like, really makes me wonder the same shit. I'll see the same thing, like endless likes and comments and all this yeah. shit. And I'm like, maybe I'm just a piece of shit. Like maybe I, I'm just too I, angry. I I bitter. Like, I know. Yeah. But
0: no, I mean, who are these people that are. <laughs> <laughs> who are these people who are these people, are people? daring to, to, to say these comedians are funny when they're yeah. not even remotely funny. These people are our enemies. I'm glad we agree on that. <laughs> <laughs> we need to do something about this. Completely agree, man. It's 100%. So irritating though. Cause here's another thing. Okay. Here, okay. Let me just get this off my chest. Yeah, yeah. Here's another thing. Um, you being like being obscene is not necessarily funny. Okay. Right. I mean, I, I, okay. like, this is not a new complaint i'm sure i mean obscene <laughs> things can be funny sure maybe yeah. they should be fu- I they certainly can be funny they're not right. necessarily funny so if you're relying only on obscene like scatological or sexual things yeah that and you're relying on drunken idiots mm-hmm. you're you're i'm sorry you're garbage as a comedian you're no totally. good you're friggin no good do yeah. well, like i i just anyway
1: No, I agree, man. And it is and it's like that too. The the funny thing that I've learned learned too is that you know, people can people are very good now at picking up cadence or a pattern. So you don't even have to do the work to be a comic. Yeah. You're just like, oh, I can figure out the rhythm a little bit there. And the yeah. pre programmed audience
0: mistakes that
1: as a funny joke. Dude, 100%. Yeah. And then right? you're like, and the worst part is, is as when your talent, when you have to, like, as I, I've been doing this for a long time, I can take any venue, I can do whatever the hell it is. But like, when somebody sees bad comedy, and I'm sure it's probably the same way when it's bad music or whatever, but when they see bad comedy and they're used to it, they either hate you because they're like, who are you coming in with your material? And you're, and you're, you know, whatever the hell it is. And they don't want to see it. Or uh, oddly enough, sometimes it'll be the flip of that. Like when someone's shitty and then you're, you get on stage and you do your thing, they're like, Oh, this is fucking hilarious. Like, this is great. You know what I mean? Like, but oftentimes if it's bad comedy in an area, that's all they're used to. That's all they know. They don't know why you're not talking about scatological stuff. They're like, why aren't you, why aren't you edgy enough to be talking about shitting on somebody's chest? why not? Like, you know what I mean? And you're like, I yeah. don't know. That's not what I do. Yeah. It's not a, yeah. It's really weird, man. It's, it's a, it's a bummer. It's hard to fight against.
0: Well, you know, it's funny uh, when I went, this is like, I was like 14 or something when I saw Jay Leno one night. Um, and I'm not saying, I'm not saying this should, this should occur at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, jokes that sort of deal with those, you know, like, sexual intimacy or really, I mean, that can be very funny. Those guys are often sure. are uncomfortable things to talk about. It's a skill. And it's nice to take a break and just kind of laugh at the, the folly that is humanity, right? Yeah, is yeah. the odd things we do. So I'm not saying that, that, uh, that Jay should be followed in this respect necessarily, but I will say that he did like two solid hours mm-hmm. and there wasn't one toilet or sex joke, right? And yeah. this, so this was the 80s. Now I don't know if this was his wife. Is like I, I understand is kind of a very sensitive about these kinds of things. Yes, yes. So I don't know if he was doing he was that Mavis. because Mavis, um, mm-hmm. was you know was going to like beat him up or something. I don't, I don't know what was going on. <laughs> she is very violent. <laughs> She's got a temper. No one well, knows that, but you, you never know. But that, I,
1: that chin of his is swelling just from constant. Yeah, extent.
0: yeah. That yeah. was from the cast iron pan. Yeah, <laughs> um, I, I don't anyway but so i mean to be able to do that it's like playing an entire rock concert without ever playing an a chord or something it's oh yeah how did you how'd you do that i didn't even miss it yeah Yeah. it's like
1: seinfeld man when i first i mean i've seen him you know obviously in the clubs and stuff like that in new york but um you know i when i went to see him he just popped in and just crushed for an hour and you don't you just feel like It's so funny because you see those guys and they're huge. And even even the ones that like, you know, I can't think of who said it exactly. But somebody, you know, it is not I I believe this fully. It's not easy to get a laugh with cursing or doing anything like that. Like you have it is a skill like Carlin used to say that, like, you know, those type it's like making a stew and there's just seasoning. But you can't just go up there and people literally think that you just go on stage and then you start talking about that kind of stuff. And it's instant belly laughs. And it's like, no, man, like there's there's some shecky green in there mixed in. Yeah. You got to you got to
0: punch and set up well, at least it's salt. at least it shouldn't be. Yeah, I mean, exactly. if it is like we're living in a, an even greater dystopia than we think, if, if it's actually turning into that. Yes. Mean, if you could just show up and start dropping F-bombs, which from what I can see, a lot of these guys do. Yeah. Like I said, they're relying on alcohol and people that are there to just kind of laugh probably your lives suck. And you just, you know, it's just, and you just want to say like, dude, just come up with a joke.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You should
0: be able to freestyle about, I mean, is, I, like I know what I'm talking about. I'm just, I'm just, <laughs> just going to pretend I know what I'm talking about right now. I think you should be able to get up in front of a mic for five minutes and freestyle about something that you never maybe really thought about. um, And you're only really kind of thinking about it at that moment and get these people laughing. Without, Agreed. right without stupid right cheap
1: shortcuts one 100 right. and you might like uh to that to that point you might there's a thing if you look up on youtube do you know paul Prevenza? sorry who do you know paul Prevenza comedian and he's a documentarian and and um he's a great great guy okay and he has a show that he created i can't think of who he created with it's called set list and like all it was it was it was short-lived maybe they only did like one or two seasons and um, but they they basically would have like all these great comedians like Patton Oswald, Eddie Izzard, Robin Williams, when he was alive, did it. Um, and it was they didn't know what was going to come up on the screen. So the screen would be the other comedians would choose the set list and they would just see a word pop up behind them, and like Robin would have to turn around and then see the word. And obviously Robin's one of the best improvisers like ever. But like, you know, those guys would have to try and do it. And the cool thing was is comedians that were not. Comfortable improvising would get up there It was like this challenge try to do it But right. you can totally see like The level of skill they just have Still like their brains working It's a fascinating yeah. thing to watch dude I wish I'd, I was too young to be a part of it but it was Phenomenal
0: yeah I should watch That
1: yeah it's called set list uh, It's really really great it's a lot of fun um, I gotta ask you One thank you for staying for o- over The hour because I really appreciate your time Two I gotta ask you the big three Questions that we ask every guest on the show So uh, first question is, if you can go back in time and talk to your younger self, what piece of advice would you give yourself to help you today?
0: Well, I mean, I mean, obviously, there'd be some investment advice (laughs) (laughs) you would do back to the future route. You would do the Biff thing. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, obviously, I mean, that would have been nice yeah I mean (laughs) Bitcoin Marty yeah Bitcoin Bitcoin and just go from there absolutely no that's very materialistic Um, (laughs) uh, I would uh, I would suggest not um, forming a couple of the relationships that I that I did hmm smart I hear you that and investment things um, you know I probably would say get I, I probably would have told myself get into the gym start pumping iron and frigging just get fit Not like i was obese or anything but that seemed to kind of change a lot of things for me you know
1: nice yeah it does people don't realize it but any kind of exercise a little bit helps you out like i'm not saying you have to be a gym nut walk out of looking like the hulk but yeah
0: yeah not roiding up or anything like that but
1: yeah um and the second question i we may have already touched on but uh, what had to end in your life, good or bad
0: that led you to where you are today? Um, well, um, well, I mean, certainly my, my marriage mm. that ended after Mormonism, right? Um, you know, a few years after that, but it was kind of directly related to that. Um, well, I don't know. A lot of things have ended. Um, I, I'm focused on resurrecting some of them right now. So yeah. I can do that. Nice. That's
1: nice. Yeah. Never had somebody resurrecting anything on the show yet. So that's like that's a Phoenix. Yeah.
0: yeah. Well, you know, you can do that sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. I've resurrected man. some defunct friendships, not that they, there was no animosity, but you know, we kind of drifted apart and yeah. yeah. And then, uh, so that's been pretty cool. Last year I've kind of reconnected with people that I, was great chums with, but also that we had lots of kind of commercial success together. So oh, nice. that's been cool. So
1: is there a tour in the making that we should know about?
0: Uh, Dad and I are going to do some shows. Um, okay. Well, in Canada, well, okay. So dad's going to do a solo tour this fall. I think it's nice. November in, in Canada and I'm going to just back him up, um, play Sweet. guitar and stuff in, in the band. So, um, it's not sort of um you know, it's not like a a, co- a a starring role or anything like that. But um, he does he does like it when I come along and play "She's So High" and stuff. And oh, nice! That's fun. That's awesome, man. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't actually really want to do that song in front of his <laughs> audiences. I mean, honestly, because I mean, as you can imagine, the audiences kind of skew older. Sure. Most of them have never even heard of the song before. You don't think They're so? Never- I feel like they <laughs> are, you know it. When the song came out, they were old already. Okay. So that was <laughs> okay. like a long time ago.
1: But I just um, nostalgia for that song. It lit, I cannot not hear that song and think of my like summers yeah. working at the beach. Like that song was on the, the popular radio station that we had, played it every hour.
0: Yeah. And it just it's good times. It was a fun summer for me, that's for sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. I can imagine. Yeah. Um, yeah, I had a couple of fun summers there. Um Anyway, so yeah, the tour, dad's doing a tour. I'm going to be in the backup band. Um, um, which is funny now that I'm thinking about it because I have, I got a gig and he's going to back me up. Um, so we kind we of do oh, that. Nice. Um, nice. That's awesome. Um, and then next March, we've got a few dates in Canada that are actually Bachman and Bachman. So it's like the okay. early, the early look at the, you know, or listen to the new songs and stuff like that. But, I'm I'm hoping that like when when the album comes out and ho- ideally with the documentary we can do a, a really nice tour all over North America and beyond. Beautiful. That's John. Awesome.
3: John's just putting it out there that if you want to do uh, a Bachman Bachman and Poveromo, he's willing to open. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. That's not a bad idea. I'm just
1: saying I'm available. I mean, you know, <laughs> have, you know, you don't you don't have to worry about me. It's not I'm, a bad I,
0: idea. I don't even know of a band that does that. You no, me neither. I
1: don't
3: they think used so. No. To do comedy before
0: they before did back music, in the day, right?
3: yeah, like yeah like, um, at,
0: yeah, like at music festivals in like 1969 and stuff, a comedian would come out, right? Yes, absolutely,
1: yeah. dude. I would absolutely do that in a heartbeat. And I, I'm very like I'm a small person, so you can just pack me overhead, you know, ETA case, He's yeah, ETA case. <laughs> <laughs> Slip me one of those dog pills. I'll go to sleep on somebody. It's fine. It? How
0: how how tiny are you?
1: I am Keebler elf size. I'm five, I'm five, four. That's how tall I am. I'm okay. five, yeah. So I'm not too, you know.
3: And when you see us together in person, we look like we're the same size on screen. I'm six, four. So He's six, four. It's a long, like I'm walking with my son.
1: Yeah. Or like, yes. Or like he. Uh, yeah. if, if he, we stand next to each other, it looks like Tom's won an award and i'm just like that's that's how <laughs> i'm a golden brown in the summer um okay so we got the, the last question ties into the show and i can't wait to hear your answer because it's it's going to be interesting so uh if this was a genuine dystopia more than it is kind of now either it was aliens or zombies or a comet heading toward earth climate change whatever it is it's everybody's last day mm. how are you going to spend it what would be your epic death
0: um well i really liked playing rugby and in a in a weird sort of way i i longed for glorious death on the rugby pitch <laughs> at that time of my life i awesome. had visions like flying through the air like slamming the ball down in the tri area shouting freedom like william wallace my <laughs> brave heart um you know and then it's just everything goes black you know um so that would be it. pretty fun, and I haven't jumped into a game since the last game before the COVID lockdowns. I mean, oh. I'd have to get back into kind of cardio shape, certainly, and hit the gym for six weeks. But so if I if I had six weeks, actually, you know what? I would jump into the game. It wouldn't matter anyway, right? Is the comet's going to hit? Yeah. The next day, yeah. I could just jump into the game. So that would be pretty fun. Oh my Play god! Play some music with uh, my lady. Yeah. And uh, have a beef barbecue. Oh, beautiful, man. (laughs) I want to
1: go. That's, I think I want to go to his epic death party. Like, that's pretty great. I would, I would think
3: there would have to be a key lime pie to close it out. That's right. right. The the closer. Yes.
0: Yeah. The key lime pie is the last scene. Now that I'm thinking about it, actually, I've lived that day quite a few times. So (laughs) I guess there's not really that much difference between, (laughs) you know, that and the last day of my life. So
1: awesome, man. Poetic. Um, Beautiful. All right. Well, thank you so much. Do you want to play? Do you want to? Okay, I got to play this for you. Do we? Do you have it queued up, Tom? I can do it. I can make it happen. We never do this, but your key lime pie story reminded me of a Larry. Mil- you know, Larry Miller comedian.
0: No, right, you we might recognize, recognize him. him.
1: Yeah. yeah, but he's got a great pie joke. I was going to say it, but he, I can't do it justice. I got to. Do you have a minute to watch this? Yeah. All right. Great. Play it, Tom. Yeah, put it on.
2: In World War II, has a piece of the most delicious Bavarian cream pie he's ever tasted. Years later, he's back in America, of course, he's raised a family, they're all under of the house. He finds out he's terminally ill. He thinks to himself, I'm going to go back to that little cafe in Belgium and get a piece of Bavarian cream pie before I die. He takes out all his money, books passage on an ocean liner. Halfway across, they hit an iceberg, he sinks, grabs hold of a spar, and manages to float, the only survivor, float to a desert island There's no desert island in the North Atlantic, but you just go with it. He gets to a desert island. He's alive, but he realizes he's never going to get a piece of that pie. He straps together the bamboo poles and makes a raft with strips of his shirt (laughs) and starts to paddle to Europe. Sharks attack him, eat his legs. He manages to get to the Europe beach. They got one. He gets to the Europe beach. He pulls himself up, passed through the trees to a road. He has to grab the bumper of a slow-moving bus that says on top, Belgium, the M17, the cross town, across Europe. It goes right across Europe. He's bumping along, and he sees up ahead the town he remembers from his youth, and he lets go at the right moment and tumbles into the town square, and he heads for the cafe. And he goes in, and he's very near death, as you can imagine. The waiter at the counter comes up to him and says, "Can I help you?" And he says, "With all the effort he can muster, please give me a piece of your Bavarian cream pie." And the waiter says, "Gee, we're we're all, we're all out of Bavarian cream pie," and he says, "I'll have peach."
0: <laughs> I didn't know that was his name. I've I've seen him. He's been in everything for yeah, right? years. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Very funny. I-
1: I couldn't help but think of that joke, and I was like, "I will, I don't even want to touch it." He tells it better than anybody could, so it's a, it's a great joke, man. Um, D, we want to thank you for coming out with us. Everybody, there was a lot of
3: outpouring of thanks and uh, how great your stories were, and they were really moving, and they appreciated you being here. It's let me pull up. Jackie said too, this is fascinating. It means a lot that you're willing to share it. Thank you, Tal. All right, yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you, man. We really Thanks appreciate so much for coming it. On, dude. It was a blast. I, I'm hoping me and John can get up to Canada during this Bachman and Bachman tour so we get a piece of key lime pie and we could check yeah. you guys out. I I've love never Canada. been to Canada, so what? I'd love to go. I've never been. You've never had a DUI, right? No. Okay. All right. We can go then. That's a weird question. You know how many times I've gone to Canada with people and they, they're like, oh, we'll be fine. And you get like on a train through the car. If you have any type of like felony or DWI, you're going oh, home. wow, no. Thankfully, yeah. 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 yeah, I've seen people get... I, we, I was on a bachelor party. The best man at the bachelor party, was go, we were going on train for it. <laughs> the, the guy who was getting married, his best man and his brother got kicked off of the train and sent back uh, home on a bus. He's wow. like, we're still going. It's my bachelor party.
0: So, well, God, this really well, one, well one, two last things. You, you shouldn't try to bring any kind of weed. Um... Uh, because even though it's legal in Canada, uh, I'm not saying that you two ever would do anything like that, but I have heard of people that are just like shocked, shocked that they can't bring stuff like that across the border because it's legal. And the other thing is, you know, firearms. So, I mean, cause I've always lived near the border last, last thing before we go, but yeah. I mean, it's just, it happens over and over and over again. The guys from Texas or Idaho or even Washington or Oregon, they're in the RV and they show up at the Canadian border. And of course, these guys are like, are you carrying any firearms? And the answer is, well, of course, we would never go anywhere. I would never go without, anywhere without my shotgun and my my twenty-two. And right, and of course, they can't they can't bring firearms into Canada. It's actually a different country with different <laughs> firearms yeah. rules. Yeah, so, makes sense. Those are my two tips for getting into Canada. A All right, much
1: great. Better weed. Now we know. I'm just gonna wear my John Candy T-shirt. Um, you know, on my Tal yeah. Bachman CDs. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Be great. Thanks so much, man. I really appreciate you coming on and talking to us. Yeah. All man, right. Thanks, thanks, thanks for so having me. Yep. Thanks, take man. care. Have a All great. right. See ya.
2: Dystopia tonight.